trees went out to name themselves the king. This is Grace Talks, a production of Martin UMC, an open and inviting United Methodist Church in Martin, Michigan, a co-charge with Shelbyville United Methodist Church, which worships on Sunday at 11 a.m. Martin worships Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and we would love to see you there. But the olive tree said, should I stop making all that I know as human beings? Our scripture text today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. And Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground, and they were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Get up. Do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man is raised from the dead. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, God, our Lord, our Savior. Amen. So this passage has us following three disciples, James and John and Peter, as they climb the mountain with Jesus. They, like Jesus himself, are probably tired and exhausted as anyone who has ever climbed a mountain or a large hill would be. And so we probably can't overstate the shock that the disciples felt when they are met with a vision of God's greatness. God's revelation of the world as it actually is. They, say, they see Christ who shines like the sun, and they see with him two other men, Moses and Elijah. Now for some context, Moses and Elijah are representatives of the law and the prophets two lines of the Jewish tradition with which Jesus comes from, and two men who are both noted for having had their own mountaintop experiences with God. And so Peter is compelled, he has to do something to mark that something has happened here. He asks Jesus if he can set up a trio of tents, housing places for each man. And this is one of those things where it might seem a little odd when we first read the passage, but when we start to think about it, isn't this such a human reaction? To memorialize, to make monuments. Especially when we think the monument that we are crafting can in some way capture the experience and perhaps even the essence of God. This would seem to be a common trend in our human nature. When we look at history, when we look at our history as humans, 
when we look at our history as Americans, when we look at the Old Testament, we see this pattern repeated. When something big and momentous happens, you have to build a monument. You have to set up a sacred space so that we can remember that something important happened here. We build ourselves monuments, idols even to the past, places where we know that we will come here and we will continue to meet God in this place. Perhaps one of the greatest problems with the church over the past 2,000 years is that we, have seem, we seem to have too often missed the forest for the trees. We've often become so invested in our stuff that we forget why we're actually here. We've so, we've so often become more invested in this idea of going to church that we have often forgotten that we are to be the church. Rather than looking ahead to where we are going, we often look back to where we've been. Concluding that if we can just get back there, or to some approximation of there, then things will be better. We just need to get back to the mountaintop, and so we end up trying to stay holed up in our monuments. We try to stay holed up in our buildings, in our resources, in our institutions, in our traditions, in our symbols, even as they crumble around us. We forget to live with eyes aimed forward. We forget to live. So as I was writing this, I realized that it had been a while since I had referenced the Lord of the Rings or Tolkien here. And I said very early on that these are works. This is an author who has deeply affected me in almost every way. And so here's another reference. In Tolkien's Silmarillion, a book that is in essence the Bible of Middle-earth, Middle-earth being the fictional land where his stories would take place, he writes about an ancient kingdom of men, the island of Numenor. The people of this kingdom were the wise people of their day. They were the shipbuilders. They were the explorers. They were the people of science and discovery and faith who held a deep respect for creation and for the world around them. But as time went on, they be, things began to decay. In time, the people of Numenor began to set aside wisdom in exchange for a promise of immortality. They began to sacrifice to other gods, and they began to invest in the dead more readily than they invested in the living. They built great houses for the dead that far surpassed the homes of the living. They sought the means of immortality, the means to break death. But in the end, they died. Their civilization fell, and their kingdom was swallowed by the sea. They had become so transfixed on the past and the glory of the past that they forgot to see where they were. They forgot to look forward. They forgot to live. We all have our time on the mountaintop. 
We have all had our spiritual highs. Maybe it was right here in this church or in another church. Maybe it was on a mission trip or a retreat. Maybe it was at camp or on a vacation. Wherever it was, we have all had these moments when we feel different. When we've approached these thin or holy spaces, spaces where we feel in some way more connected. Maybe we feel more connected to God or the universe or nature or humanity itself. We find these times or these places where we feel as though now we are walking on holy ground and now we know that if we continue to walk on this ground, we will always see God walking beside us. What has happened, what happens is that when it comes to these experiences, when we find ourselves in these mountaintop experiences, we find ourselves having that same thought that Peter has in this story. Let's stay here. Let's never go home. There's always this moment at camp. I've always worked at a summer camp for, for virtually my entire life, either worked there or been going there as a camper. And what I found is there's always this time, usually on Thursday night when we're preparing to leave the next day, when we're sitting around with our new friends, staring at the campfire, and we begin to mourn. We begin to think about what we've done through the week, and we begin to come to grips with the fact that we are going to leave the next day. And so we mourn the loss of constantly being around the new friends we've made. We mourn the leaving. But leave we must. Because the truth about our mountaintop experiences is that they are always for a limited time only. They're always passing. And no matter how much we want to, we can't stay on the mountaintop. We have to get down. Because there's work to do. There's lives to get back to. We have things that need doing. We've got choring to do. And the mountaintop, while it's useful, while it's even needed, is not our destination. It's not the goal. It's not where we are to stay. The mountaintop is a waypoint. Because we're headed for another mountain. We're headed for a mountain that we don't have to leave, one that takes a whole heck of a lot longer to get to. The prophets tell us of this mountain all throughout their writings. They whisper of this new world. Elijah, or Isaiah, Elijah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. These are just a few of the prophets who tell us of the mountain of the Lord, what the author of Revelation would later call the New Jerusalem. And this mountain, well, it isn't just the world to come. It's the world that we work towards. It's the world that we live into now. When we look through the prophets, what we find is that this idea of the mountain of the Lord is just as prevalent, prevalent as mountaintop experiences. For every prophet, there's always a mountain where they look forward to the promised land. 
For Moses, there was Sinai. For Elijah, there was Horeb. For Peter, there was Tabor. And much more recently, much more recently, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King spoke of his own mountaintop experiences. He described his experience in which he was able to look out and see the promised land and see the mountain of the Lord, but that he could only catch a quick glimpse of it. He told us that he had seen the promised land, and even though he suspected that he wouldn't make it there, he knew that that's where we were to head. We should have our mountaintop experiences. They are important. The mountaintop experiences, they give us direction. They give us discernment. They give us a place where we can rest and we can retreat, a place where we can surrender, where we can dream of another world, but they're not the end of the story. They're not the end of the journey. So one of the places that I always think of when I think of a place that I could decide that maybe I'll never leave this place is Hawaii. I know I'm really breaking the bank there, (laughs) really breaking the mold, but when I went to Hawaii, I had that feeling of, what if I just stayed here? And what we often find, what we find is that when we look at the statistics, a lot of people think that because Hawaii has one of the highest rates of new residency in the country. But Hawaii also has the highest rate of people moving out. Because we want to stay on the mountaintop, we want to go to the paradise, we want to stay where it's good and happy and where everything is perfect, but then we realize it takes a lot of money to live here. And when you're paying $5 for a jug of milk, you realize it's just not sustainable. You realize that the mountaintop you're staying on isn't meant to be stayed on. Just because we've reached the Mount of Transfiguration, it doesn't mean that we've reached the Mount of Resurrection. We still have a ways to go. In Matthew, we still have another ten chapters. We have a long way to go in the world we live in before we reach that mountain of the Lord. And it's not as simple as waiting around for God to do it for us, despite however much we might want that to be the case. Because Jesus has already left for us a greater monument than any human hand can ever build. He left the church. He left his body. And as Christ's body on earth, we have a lot of work to do. There's a lot of things to atone for even in our own history as the church. A lot of hurts that still need healing. In our world, we have things like racism and sexism and greed and war and violence and consumerism and materialism and the destruction of the natural world all in the favor of getting the few resources that we can as quick as possible. 
We have things like sexual violence, Islamophobia, xenophobia, homophobia, wealth inequality. We have a society that relies on loading people with debts that they can never pay back. These are just a fraction of the forces that we deal with on a daily basis, the forces that we go out at these doors and we have to face down. These are forces that enslave us. These are forces that limit us. These are forces that possess us and destroy us even. These things limit our relationships. They limit our ability to love. They limit our ability to look into our neighbor's face and see the face of God looking back. They, they dehumanize. They destroy. And these are the things that we struggle against. These are the things that stand in the way or try to stand in the way of the mountain of the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. It'd be a lot easier to stay on the mountaintop. We'd probably even prefer it. Like Peter, we want to build our tents and we want to stay there. Hold up with Jesus all alone on our own little mountaintop becoming so satisfied with what we've already experienced, so satisfied with what we've already done that we never move forward, we never live. We become convinced that this is it. This is what God has planned. And if I keep coming back here for the rest of my life, then I get to go to heaven when I die, and that's the end of the story. But when Christ leaves the mountaintop, the first thing he does is he drives out a demon. He leaves the mountaintop and immediately he begins to restore creation to its proper order. He begins to restore life to the way it should be. Two chapters from this one, two chapters from chapter 17, this being verse or this being chapter 19. We see Jesus who meets with the rich young ruler. A man who famously asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to reach the mountain of the Lord? It would seem that the young man has gotten really bored in his tent of riches and he wants something new. And so Jesus tells him, tear down your tent of riches. Tear down the altar of wealth that you've built for yourself and sell all of your possessions. Follow me. The man refuses. He refuses to give up his mountaintop tent. He refuses to give up that demon of wealth. And so he is transfixed on what he has. He is transfixed on where he is. And he's so deeply caught in that tent that he can't recognize the transformation that's offered. 
He can't recognize where they're going. He can't see the mountain of the Lord. And so as we, begin our, as we begin our wanderings, as we begin our walk along the wild road that leads to Easter, we have to ask in this season of Lent, what altars, what tents do we need to leave behind? What monuments need tearing down? What mountaintops do we need to leave? What is it that we hope will be worn away in the light of the transfiguration? Our mountaintop experiences, they can be places of transfiguration. They can be places where we are renewed, where we are transformed, where we are allowed to see the promised land, or they can be, they can be prisons. They can be places that we never get to leave. They can become houses of the dead that surpass the homes of the living. But Christ calls us not to the houses of the dead. He tells us, let the dead bury their own. And he calls us to life. He calls us to life abundant. He calls us to the mountain, to the kingdom of God. Amen.